0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I hope you all have had a fabulous, fabulous week, and I thank you once again for joining me for this hour of of health-related topics and such things. So we're going to go ahead and get started like we always do with our show starters, so shout-outs. Shout out to my number one fan. Hey, Mom, I hope you are having a fantabulous Thursday this morning. Shout out to family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Hobbs, New Mexico, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Hampton, Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Gadsden, Alabama, Center, Alabama, Oxford, North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Temecula, California, Opelika, Alabama, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, College Park, Georgia, Newport News, Virginia, and we have a new city we have added to our family here, Ladson, South Carolina. Hey, Ladson, I hope you all are wonderful this Thursday, and thank you so much for listening in. Alrighty, so getting started into our programming today we have a guest who is a very very special person to me and we will talk we'll probably get into into all of that anyway all righty so I'm um, not going to give numbers about the about the, our covid update Um, at this point in time, because I think our guests may be be coming in a little bit earlier today. But just talking about the um, the new CDC masking guidelines that have come on um, this past week, um, the CDC has announced new guidelines for fully vaccinated individuals, um, and it states that people who are fully vaccinated um, are not required to wear masks or physical distance except where required by federal, state, local, or tribal rules and regulations, including uh, local businesses and workplace guidances. So this, of course, has caused a tremendous amount of um, relief on on some people's end and angst on other people's end, I guess, I'll say. Um, for me personally, now, of course, you know, there are some places, for example, um, federal transportation, that, you know, this the guideline is still that you have to be masked whether you're vaccinated or not, okay? And, of course, there has been, um, I won't say differing messages, but it depends upon where you are going because some businesses are still saying, you know, we don't care if you're vaccinated or not, you still have to wear a mask. And some businesses are like, you know, take it off and come on in. So, of course, you have to... um, go by where where you're going. So, you know, you can check that out. You know, most places will have that information on their website or hopefully they will have signage of some sort on the door that tells you, you know, what their recommendations are, what their requirements are, excuse me, for coming into their establishments. Now, the problem that I have or the challenge that I have with this um, on a personal and professional level is that, How can you identify people who have been fully vaccinated? I look exactly the same. I'm a fully vaccinated individual, but I look exactly the same as I did before I was vaccinated. So how do you know? Also, you know, and and I hate to say this, but it's true. Some people will lie. Some people are not truthful. Some people, you know, never intended to wear their mask to begin with, right? And never... Never intended to get vaccinated and still, you know, will will pretend, I guess you will say that they are in compliance with vaccination or whatever and will not have their mask on. And of course, those individuals still have um, a risk of spreading disease and becoming infected themselves. So, you know, I will say being vaccinated, although it does offer you a tremendous amount of protection, it is not a 100 percent bulletproof shield. Okay. so, you know, of course, there's in the news with the New York Yankees that several fully vaccinated players have contracted COVID. Now, here's the thing with that. That's not saying that the vaccine doesn't work because... What it is saying is that it offered them protection from having severe expressions of their disease um, where they're to the point where, you know, they have to be hospitalized. The cases have been very, very mild. And in many cases of of those players, asymptomatic. Right. So that's what you want, that if you get it, you know, that it's not you're not going to die from it. That's the whole purpose of the vaccine, the whole point of the vaccine. Um, And so, you know, I continue to encourage you all to. Um, you know, do your research about the vaccine and what vaccine you want to choose for yourself. And if you choose not to be vaccinated, um, of course, you still want to social distance, wash your hands and wear your mask when you're out in public, if for no other reason than to protect yourself. Um, Because of course, COVID is very, very real. Um, You know, more than half a million people in this country have lost their lives as a result of that. So for me, I am still wearing my mask when I go out in, in public. Um, I am still trying to avoid crowded spaces. Um, when I go out to restaurants, I am trying to eat outdoors, if at all possible. Um, you know, those are the choices that I am making. Um, luckily, my daughter, who is 13, got her first COVID vaccine last Friday, So we are well on our way to being a fully vaccinated household, and that's just going to open up a lot of opportunities for us to get back to what what a normal life looks like for us. So. We are going to take a brief break, and then when we come back, I'm going to introduce our guest. We're going to do things a little uh, topsy-turvy today because she has a different time constraint. And so we'll be right back after this short break. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa.
1: At Just for Pets Wellness Center, our expert veterinary team provides personal, professional, and compassionate services to your beloved pets. You can rely on us for pet wellness exams, medical care and treatments, dentistry, and surgical care. We provide a clean, safe, and caring environment for dogs, cats, and pocket pets. With exceptional care, always the standard. We're Dog on Good and the Cat's Meow. Visit our website for more information at www.just4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. So, you know, as I said, we're doing things a little bit differently today to accommodate our guest schedule. Um, and so let me introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Tamika usri Freeman. Dr. Tamika usri Freeman is a native of Macon, Georgia. Hey, Macon, how y'all doing down there? She attended undergraduate at Queen's University in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then went on, and I love this that she put this in her bio, went on to attend the prestigious Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where we met. Uh, Dr. Usri Freeman completed her pediatric residency training at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, and over the years she has enjoyed practicing in South Georgia and uh, Western Florida, uh, as a general pediatrician and pediatric hospitalist, all while raising her family of five children with her husband of 21 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show my dear friend, Dr. Tamika Usari Freeman. Dr. Usari Freeman, good morning. (laughs) Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, highly favored, doing well. Indeed, indeed. So let's get right into it. So today's show, we're talking about advocating for the pediatric patient, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of the times, you know, as an ER doctor, I see people who bring their children into the emergency room, and it always feels to me like they have skipped a step, right? Because I'll ask Mm -hmm. them, you know, have they seen their pediatrician? No. Do you have a pediatrician? No. And I'm just kind of looking at them like... Wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, So let's get right into it. So, you know, of course with children, it can be difficult, right? Because Mm -hmm. they cannot speak for themselves um, in the early stages. And, of course, once they can talk, they can't really articulate exactly what is going on with them. And so that makes it a challenge for the parent to understand. That makes it a a challenge for the provider to understand. So what tips do you have for being an effective advocate for your pediatric patient, for your child, basically? Well, thank you for that question, um, Dr. Hans. I feel
2: that, or I implore parents to have a primary um, physician that they that they take their children to family medicine, these pediatric patients, um, and of course, pediatricians see um, patients from birth to 21, most of us. And so, establishing a relationship with a physician to see their child for the routine visits, well checks, as well as for those things, those minor illnesses, or that the perception of minor illnesses can catch chronic things that if you're hopping around to urgent cares, ERs, minute clinics, someone may miss. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's very important to establish that relationship so that that person is like your quarterback. They stand back, they evaluate the bigger picture and decide, do we need to pull the trigger and throw the touchdown today? Or do we just know we're good? We just kind of keep running these plays. Um, And so I feel like if you have that relationship with an established position that
0: um that care is provided is, is a little bit better and i i totally totally agree because you know as i said as an er doc a lot of the times you know i don't know your kid
1: you know, mm-hmm. this, this is my,
0: my first and probably only time that i will see them um right. and whereas your pediatrician or your family provider um you know knows them over a period of time and knows right. how they behave and knows how they present, um, and so I always encourage. You know, I, I, I of course I cannot once you're in the ER, I cannot tell you you should have gone to your to your primary care physician and you know why are you here, um, but the thing is, you know, your your pediatrician and your family practice physicians they exist for a reason. They mm-hmm. are the experts on your child. So now, how about when they do present to the emergency room, what kinds of things should they Um, definitely share with their with their doctor or how would you recommend a parent know when to pull the trigger and just bypass their pediatrician and go to the emergency room? Good question. So what I um, tell my
2: patients um, in in practice and and just in general is um, a couple of different rules and first let's back up just a little bit. Sure. Uh, Keeping a binder folder some place that's where you can keep your child's medical records um, is very important. So, for Mm. example, if they're on medications, that little slip that they give you from the pharmacy, slide it in there. Um, especially if they're chronic medications, asthma medicines, um, EpiPens, allergy medications, things that they take daily. Um, if they take something and they've been taking it for the past couple of weeks and then you're going to present to the ER, take that with you. Um, it's helpful if you bring your medications with you if you're going to the emergency room mm-hmm. and not even just ER visits, but just to your daughter's office. Take all of the things that your child is on, even if it's over-the-counter or herbal medications that you've chosen, vitamins that you've chosen to, to give them. Mm-hmm. So If you keep a binder on your child, um, it's going to keep you, because I've have five children it's hard to remember which one has what thing when. <laughs> and so if you have several children um if you, each one has a binder you slide their little thing in there it doesn't even have to be pretty um then the the physician can go through those things and go oh this is what you're referring to when you had x y and z um and it's just easier to kind of keep a succinct record especially if you're having to go to different er's exactly um yeah. Uh my rule for taking a child to the emergency room is trust your instinct. Um so if it feels wrong and you think it's wrong, it's okay to take them. We'd much rather you take them and and, and the ER doctor says no, you're good than not. Right. However, one of the rules that I like is if it's not broken, if it's not actively bleeding, um, and if you're not and if you're able to eat and drink, then you probably can wait till the next day. Right. Um, so if you're not actively bleeding, not if it's bled, so if it was if you had a nosebleed and it stopped then that's not active bleeding. Right. Um, if you have fever and, and you gave Tylenol, and yes, people, please give Tylenol prior to going to the emergency room because we mm-hmm. believe you when you tell us that they have fever. Right. Um, so if they have fever and they vomit at one time but they're no longer vomiting, that means it's not active. That means you probably can stay home, call your pediatrician if you're unsure, and present and go to a, an appointment. But if you're vomiting to the point, vomiting and having diarrhea to where you can't keep anything down, your child hasn't urinated in over eight hours or at least three times in a 24-hour period, um, or they're actively bleeding or it's broken, then you probably should go to the ER.
0: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and and I'm going to chime in on that give your child Tylenol. Um, With a fever, (laughs) you know, because I've had people come into the emergency room with their children and, you know, they've had this fever for God knows how long. And then the next thing you know, the child is having a febrile seizure, Mm -hmm. which makes everybody incredibly nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, that may have been prevented with just a little bit of Tylenol. And I will say I am constantly shocked by the number of people who do not have um, Tylenol and or motrin of course Motrin you know at a certain age group you cannot have that um, right but they don't have anything in the home or they don't have a thermometer in the home but just say you know he felt hot. Well, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'll, I always look at that like we're warm-blooded creatures, so we should feel warm, kinda, right. you know. <laughs> but people do that, you know, they do that old-school thing. I'm gonna slap the palm of my head, hand on your forehead, and and you know, right. and just see, oh, you feel hot. Let's go to the emergency room. Right. You know, I'm like, there's I just a whole say, lot of uh, steps that get skipped there, you know.
2: Right, right. You pass Walgreens, you pass the Dollar Store, you pass all these things. <laughs> right. Correct. Right. Um, but I, I will say the things that are that I feel are essential, um, in addition to keeping a um, binder or a way of keeping your child's medical records, is also to have those things that you're mentioning at home, um, like Tylenol, Motrin, a thermometer, um, and in the age of COVID, pulse off. Um, hmm. so that you could at least kind of grab a snapshot and just say, hey, you know, call, when you make that call to your physician's um, on-call person at 3 in the morning, you can say, hey, I took the temperature, and it's this, the pulse ox was this, I gave this Tylenol, and this is helpful. Now, you mentioned about age parameters on Tylenol and Motrin, and I'm glad you did. Um, tylenol, never, ever, ever give a baby less than two months of age any medication unless, just, unless prescribed by a physician. So if you have a baby that's four weeks old, they feel warm, that is a need to go to your to the emergency room Definitely. Um, in the middle of the night if they're less than two months old, um, or to your doctor's office if they're open during the day, period, point blank, less than two months of age. Over two months of age, um, then you can you have a little bit of wiggle room. You can give Tylenol and emotion if they seem to be eating, drinking, and doing all those typical things, but they're just a little warm, and then going to see your pediatrician the next day. Um uh, they cannot have Motrin until they're at least six months of age. So no Motrin or ibuprofen before six months of age. And those are just some parameters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, I, I see a lot of the times folks don't read the labels
2: mm-hmm. on
0: these over-the-counter products, which, mm-hmm. you know, kind of presents an argument against allowing these things to be over-the-counter, um, because even though you have those those um, safety stops you know, being the information on the package, a lot of people don't mm-hmm. read that, and then they're giving um, their kids inappropriate, um, you know, amounts of things, dosages, um, right. or inappropriate dosages, um, or you know, or Medicine. you know, medicines that they shouldn't have at, at, as of yet. Um, so now, mm-hmm. cold versus flu. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. So how how should people know with their kids, um, you know, what's what? Um, You know, because, of course, you know, your kid gets sick, you get worried and, you know, everything just kind of goes out of your mind in in many cases, you know. So but just to just to throw that out there, like, what should we be looking for? I know we're kind of on the tail end of our our flu season. Right. Or at the beginning of the next uh, one, however you want to look at it. Right. A quick thing that I use to kind of help. Just
2: put it in my brain, um, and of course there are, there are. This is a bell curve, and so there are different tails on either end. But Labor Day to Easter is a good kind of flu season. So mm-hmm. if we're in that time frame, if you're thinking, okay, it's late you know, it's after Labor Day, it's December, um, then that's flu season, and that's when you should be getting your flu immunizations. So the best way to prevent flu, um, and or prevent severe cases of flu, is to get your flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anytime time between Labor Day and Easter, I would recommend that people get vaccinated for, for influenza. Um, but the difference between a cold and a flu can be subtle in the beginning because they can kind of start out the same cough, mm-hmm. cold, runny nose, which also mimics COVID, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically colds are less severe. Flus can be more severe. So um, colds are more, you know, runny nose, may have fever may not if they do it's low grade Mm -hmm. you know 100 101 at the most um if it's a child a very young child kids are wonderful which is why i love taking care of them they want to be healthy They want to feel good and they want to play. So they could be, you know, running 102 temperature, running around the house playing. They're good. It's probably a cold. If it's less than two to three days, they're still eating and drinking. They're not vomiting, having diarrhea. You're probably dealing with a cold. It will probably be self-limiting. If they, on day one, are, you know, they are just, they are sleeping Just laying out. normally do. Mm-hmm. They don't want to eat and drink. Regardless of the temperature, you may be dealing with more flu. And so it's really not even, a, a, I think one thing we missed when we were talking about Tylenol and motion and fever, it's not necessarily the number of the temperature or if it's cold or flu, it's how your child looks. So if they're right. behaving like they're a little pitiful but they're still kind of wanting to play and eat and drink, then give them a couple of days. But if they're day one not wanting to eat or drink, vomiting and can't hold anything down, um, regardless of the temperature, then they probably need to be seen, and preferably in their doctor's office.
0: Right. Or at least give the doctor's office a call, you know, because a A lot of the times, you know, the doctor can reassure and advise over the phone, um, or they can tell you, you know what, I think that I I don't even think you need to bring that into the office. Just go ahead and go to the emergency room." room. You know. like, and now in the day of virtual visits, they can actually eyeball the child mm, um, mm-hmm. and say
2: That's a, good point. Uh, a lot of offices are doing virtual visits, which is great because it's a little bit better than a phone call. I can You can actually see the child and say, hey, they look kind of pitiful.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you need to go. Or no, I see them flipping off the couch. They're probably okay. <laughs> Try X, Y, and Z. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, that that is definitely true. Because I remember, you know, last year when Spencer was sick. So Mm -hmm. um, so I I will tell our audience, um, Dr. Usry Freeman is my child's godmother and and Mm -hmm. my best friend. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when my daughter was going through her thing last year, you know, I was I, I didn't know what to do. So I called her. I called Dr. Usry Freeman and I said, hey, look, let me put you on FaceTime. And I just flipped the camera to Spencer really quickly and then flipped it back. And she was just like, you know. Dr. U.S. Freeman was just like, Carissa, and I knew right then, let, let's get our shoes on. It's time to go. Um, you right. know, so that that video visit um, is definitely, can definitely be helpful. Um, it also is helpful at keeping your sick child out of the doctor's office where they can be. Because I know with a lot of pediatricians, they have, you know, the sick waiting room and the well rate mm-hmm. waiting room. And I have never, ever seen anybody, uh, you know, keep to those boundaries. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all under the same roof and it's all the same air. So, you know, I don't know how how well that was really going to work anyway, but that's just me. Um, But, you know, now in the days of, you know, now that telemedicine is definitely um, coming on the rise, that's an excellent, excellent um, suggestion that if your child is sick and during the day when you have access to your doctor's office, you know, get them on video. And let your pediatrician mm-hmm. see your child. I think that, that that's, that's awesome. That's an excellent, excellent suggestion. Now, getting into vaccine schedules, because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, now our children ages 12 and up can be vaccinated. But just yeah. in general with vaccines. So if you would not mind, because, the, you know, this still is, is a pervasive thought about vaccines mm-hmm. and autism. If yes, you ma'am. would please give your expert opinion about that.
2: Well, what I typically tell my patients is I would never
1: um, recommend anything that I wouldn't
2: do to my own children. And I feel mm-hmm. most all pediatricians feel that. All physicians, matter, matter of fact, feel mm-hmm. that same way. Mm-hmm. And um, I have five children. They have all been vaccinated, including my four oldest that have had the COVID vaccine. And my youngest, who will be 14, um, coming up this weekend, is scheduled for his vaccine on tomorrow. Awesome. So. If nothing else, if I'm willing to my own personal children that I care for and have birth, um, I sign them up and vaccinate them, then I would never, ever put them in danger. I definitely would not recommend anything that I felt was going to be dangerous for your child.
0: So now, how but do you... Saying, you
2: oh, sorry, go ahead. Saying all of that, I do get people's hesitancy in some vaccines, in particular with the things in the media. So I recommend that people talk to their own personal physician so that they can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Google cannot replace my opinion. Google cannot replace your physician's opinion in schooling and education. Google, right. um, the couple of blogs, one mom who has an autistic child cannot replace years of scientific um, science science that has supported exactly. and and you know kind of disbunk. Um, all of the things that have been associated. Autism is not caused by vaccines. I have no qualms in saying that out loud.
0: Very good. And, and you've heard it from an expert. That's how I feel as well. Um, you know, but I get that, you know, when you are dealing with a special needs child, especially mm-hmm. one who was born, quote unquote, normal, and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden this thing has happened to your child, you know, I understand wanting to place a blame or have an explanation as to why this happened, and you know how hard right. it can be to accept that we don't know that there is no right. there is no reason. So you know, and, right. and people have to hold on to something um, with that. So now, um, question for you in terms of getting access to care, because of course in the emergency room I have seen many children who don't have insurance, and that's mm-hmm. why they're seeking care in the emergency room. And, yeah. you know, it was my understanding that every child in the United States is eligible. Like if you're not covered commercially, like under your parents, that every child is available, is, is, you know, eligible, I guess I should say, for at least Medicaid. Is that true?
2: Um, I, I don't know if I would take it that broad because okay. it does depend on Medicaid, depends on parent income in yes. some scenarios. Okay, But the income brackets um, the perception of income brackets, people perceive them as being very, very low. Like only if you make less than twenty thousand or fifteen or ten, whatever their perception is. Mm-hmm. The income brackets are typically higher than most people think. Mm-hmm. And so, say for example, somebody making forty thousand dollars that has four or five children. Now, I'm coming up with these numbers off the top of my head. Sure. These are not sure, sure. any you know federal thing, but that person has four or five children making forty thousand dollars. Um, People feel like, okay, they're doing pretty good. They're okay. They may still qualify depending on what their job offers, Mm
0: -hmm. um, how many
2: children they have, what options they have, especially on the Affordable Care Act side. There may be subsidies, things like that. So I caution people to just, a lot of times the reason why you see them with no insurance is they feel like they don't qualify. They haven't tried. Mm -hmm. Always
0: Mm -hmm. try. So period. where do people go to, to do that? Like, do they mm-hmm. go to a pediatrician? Do they contact a social worker? Do they just do it online? Like, how, how does someone find out if they are eligible for that type of assistance for their children?
2: A couple of things. Always start with your, if you are employed, start with your human resources health plan. Okay. See what is going on there. Okay. After, if you're unemployed or you've already contacted and you're like, I can't afford it or it's just not an option, especially if it's not an option, that may make you more eligible for um, Medicaid and things like that, mm-hmm. Affordable Care Act, because it's not an option at your job. Um, and then if you've contacted Human Resources, you've gone to see about your plan, then you can also, um, with Affordable Care Act, there are online um applications that you can apply for and then with medicaid there is online as well as contacting your department of family and children's services locally in your community and they can direct you where to go
0: excellent so now let's do let's shift a little bit and i Mm because you know when i was doing my research for this topic um you know of course there you know everybody in every family has some you know some person who is given an, an old wives tale or a myth about mm-hmm. parenting or whatever so let's go i'm going to call out a few um a few of these um thoughts i will say about parenting mm-hmm. and about babies and you tell me what you think so okay number one children are just miniature adults
2: not true <laughs> um right as i told you before sh- children can go from sugar to a bad word really really quickly um and (laughs) and do and so they are not many adults they have their own physiology their own unique disease processes um and you need someone that is very familiar with children to take care of them definitely
0: and so um after the first three years your child's brain is quote-unquote set for life
2: Not true. Now, they do gain a lot of their neuronal pathways and nervous system development in that first three years. That is true. But your brain continues to mature from, you know, most of um, um, through your adult life. And so um, if you think about it in in this term, you don't just learn everything you needed to know by the time you're three. Right. Because if you did, we'd be in trouble. Right. Um, and so, yes, the brain continues to grow and develop more neuronal pathways, but the bulk of them are developed that first three years, and I think that's where that comes
0: from. And of course, you know, that's a push for early childhood education as well. Um, you know, but you know, but a lot of people just think that you know, if I don't get my child into into early childhood education or something like that, then you know, my child is just doomed. Which that you know, that's why I wanted to bring that bring that up.
2: Right. Um, And that is not true either. I do feel like they don't have, a lot of people feel like, well, they need to do all the flashcards. They need to go to school. And that is important and helpful. However, if you read to your child every Mm -hmm. day, even if it's a cereal box, if you're singing nursery rhymes, if you're reading and having conversation in normal speech patterns to your child and reading different things, exposing them just through books, your child will be ahead of most
0: exactly and and i'm gonna highlight normal speech pattern not right. not baby talk not because baby talk. <laughs> your children mimic what they hear correct and so if you are speaking to them in regular language that is what they will emulate correct. so you know just want to point that one out now parenting <laughs> comes naturally and i hate this one because I've, I've i've just met a lot of women who are struggling in their parenting journey and mm-hmm. you know, older people will just be like, "Well, you know, being a mom is just the most natural thing in the world." Not necessarily, and not at every stage. Right.
2: I, I don't um, agree with that statement because it, it's uh, it's not natural. Some parents couldn't even procreate naturally. Where right. you know, so does that mean it's not a good thing for them? No. Um, Parenting is hard, I can tell you that part, Mm -hmm. and I think all parents can, but is it a natural thing? And if you don't have that instinctual thing initially, or if you had it initially and then it goes away, does that mean there's a problem? No, it just means you you may need some help. I think parenting is a um, group approach, Um, and if people are hearing you talk, like you call me, I call you, um, Mm -hmm. you have big mama that you can call, you have auntie, a girlfriend, um, a partner, a husband, a spouse, I think it's very important to realize, as mothers in particular, that this thing is not supposed to be done alone. Um, And culturally, um, for my culture, um, African-American, I feel like um, that, and Hispanic culture sometimes, that village kind of approach is a good thing. Um, And that that part is very, very helpful. And so I want I feel I hope people can um, accept that and own it. a lot of times I'll tell mothers, um, don't feel like you have to do everything, clean the house, nurse the baby, do all of those things. Let someone else do it, or sometimes just don't do it. Because the mm-hmm. most important thing is the kid and the time with the child. They don't remember right. that, you know, all their T-shirts were clean. What they remember is um, sitting there, you know, coloring with you at whatever point in time.
0: Right, right. And then, too, you know, and I, I have said this, you know, in different groups that I've been a part of, is that no no person is the perfect parent throughout all of the stages of their child's life. Some people Correct. are really, really great at that baby stage. And some mm-hmm. people struggle. Some people are really, really great at that teen stage and other Mm -hmm. people struggle. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a continuum. It's a continuum. So you may hit your stride. You may be struggling in that first five, six years. But then, you know, once they go off to school, you hit your stride and you are doing you're you're rocking it. So you just kind of have to, you know, again, reach out for help, get assistance you know, develop a village and participate mm-hmm. in it. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that definitely, you know, I'll say for myself, that definitely um, has has benefited me. Now, another one that, that comes up, and I'm going to let you go in a few minutes, you'll spoil your baby if you pick them up mm-hmm. whenever they cry.
2: Um, again, this one I, I don't agree with. Spoiling, with, um, spoiling or inquires um, or implies intention. So a baby less than six months of age really has no intention. All, of they, all they know is they want to eat, they want to be dry, um, and mm-hmm. sometimes they want nurturing. Right. Um, and so if they're crying because they simply want to be picked up um, and they're four months old, then that's okay because nurturing and developing that sense of security is very important at that age. Now, if you're four and you're crying because you want to be picked up, we can have a conversation. Right. But if you're a baby, then, um, you, in my opinion, you can't spoil a child that way. Now, you may create habits as they get older. Um, they do need to learn how to self-soothe between six and nine months of age. You don't want to let them cry for hours, but you may want to, at six to nine months, allow them to cry for two or three minutes. So they can figure out because sometimes they stop because they're like, "Oh, I'm just I'm okay. Yeah. But usually, if you pick them, if you giving them, um, giving them nurturing, they know that you're available and that you will respond to their needs. Initially, um, then they don't um just they, they figure out how to self-soothe between that six and nine month age group.
0: That's interesting because they I guess they develop a sense of security that is like, okay, Correct. if I get into trouble, exactly. she'll come. Yeah, she'll come. Okay, she'll come. Mm-hmm. Now. This last one, giving a baby solids earlier will help them sleep better. Now, before you answer that, I'm gonna say, I have seen some horrendous, horrendous things that people give their baby children. And I just always ask them, you know, I know that you love your child, but do you realize that you're putting your child in danger? So for example, I love peanut butter, but I don't think that an infant needs peanut butter. And I have had a parent come in, um, you know, with peanut butter. And I've told them, you know, peanut butter is very, very difficult to suck out of lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, just so <laughs> you know. So, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about, you know, that because of course people, you know, and people still say, you know, they're not sleeping through the night. So I had to put a little bit of um, what cereal. There you go. <laughs> I had to put a little bit of cereal in their milk. And I'm like, you know, they're, they're three months old. Like, what are you doing? But, you know, right. as the expert, speak to that, please, ma'am. I will speak to it. I have fought this battle for about 20 years. (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever be successful
2: um, in debunking this myth. However, on this broader broader spectrum or audience, I will try. Um, If your baby is waking up during the night um, and they need to eat, it's probably because they need to eat. Um, And giving them... Eight ounces or ten ounces versus the four or five they normally want to take, or putting cereal in there, often um, it may weigh them down and make them sleep a little bit more. But you're doing, you may be doing that at the peril of causing some type of GI issue. Mm -hmm. Now, most babies won't have that, but if your baby is the one baby that develops milk protein allergy and gets, um, you know, bloody stools and or worse. GI perforation from putting cereal in their milk too early Then it was one too many Mm. um and so you don't know which baby that will happen to which is why we say don't do it because if it's only one out of a thousand who won't say I'll be the one exactly no one um and so we say look it's just not worth the risk because if it's your kid and it happens to you it's not going to really be fun and it could be that one right
0: definitely Mm -hmm. definitely definitely Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us today and of course you are welcome back anytime 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 ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Tamika oh well, I'm sorry before we go tell us where we can find you
2: um you mean like on social media and stuff
0: well where's where's your office if there's a, I know that you're not not international yet, but you know <laughs> <laughs> where are you practicing? um um, I I am
2: working in the Florida area, um, but I kind of move around. So no solid location as of yet.
0: Got it. Got it. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Tamika Usari Freeman. Thank you so much, love. Thank
2: you. You have a good day.
0: Thanks. You too. This is Dr. Carissa Hines with Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We will be right back after a break.
1: Be sure to listen to The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell, a podcast that explores emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In The Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On On the the Old Fashioned fashioned Health Show. Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in. On the Real 1100. Placed you in my arms, I knew I'd meet be death before I let you meet harm. All those questions arose in my mind, would I be man enough against wrong? Choose right and be standing up. From the hospital that first night, took an hour just to get the car seat in right. People driving on fast got me kind of upset. Got you home safe, placed you in your bassinet. That night, I don't think one wink I slept as I slipped out my bed to your crib. I crap, touched your head gently, felt my
0: heart numb. Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I love that song by Will Smith, Just the Two of Us. Of course, it's a, a take on the, I believe it was George Benson that did it first, um, Just the Two of Us. Bill Withers, thank you very much. See, Greg is very, very helpful um, with giving me some information. But that was that was a song, and he did that um, in dedication to his son, um, and just talking about how it is to be an early parent and all of the struggles um, and, and fears that you go through. And so, you know, of course, being a pediatric, or excuse me, being a parent of a pediatric patient can be challenging. It can be um, scary. Um, in times because, of course, you know, you don't want your child to be sick, but the realization is that kids get sick. They do it all the time, and by and large, they survive. Um, You know, of course, illness um, in early children, uh, early age children, excuse me, um, is a way to build up the immune system. So, of course, when you first have your child in school, when you first enroll them in school or first enroll them in daycare, you will have your child coming home with all kinds of cough, colds and sniffles because they are now expanding their immune bubble, if you will, um, and new people and their germs are coming into contact with your child. And that's fine. That's what it's supposed to be. And so you will see, and, you know, I didn't ask Dr. Usry Freeman about that, but I'm sure she would agree that, you know, in the beginning of the school year, she has an uptick of visits. um, And we definitely see that in the emergency room, um, you know, where You know, the kid catches a cold and the parents get worried, Um, but that is just kind of a part of the normal growing up, right? But outside of that, it is still a challenge because, you know, as I said earlier, younger children either cannot talk when they're babies and they can't articulate, well, what they're feeling exactly. So when we are interviewing children, it is a little bit different and we rely on the parents um, a tremendous amount to fill in those blanks for us. And sometimes children will minimize their symptoms um, out of fear of going to the hospital, out of fear of getting a shot, um, out of fear of getting in trouble or fear of getting someone else in trouble. You know, for example, if they're injured, um, you know, nobody wants to tell that, you know, big brother pushed you down and now your leg's broken because, you know that's going to be problematic for Big Brother. Um, And, you know, so that leaves a lot of parents um, with levels of nervousness and anxiety um, and just kind of a feeling of not knowing what to do. And so I hope that, you know, today's show has been helpful at at least giving you, at arming you um, with a plan, at least, of how to navigate, um, you know, in the pediatrician's office, in, in the emergency room wherever you have to access health care for your child. So, you know, there are seventy four million children in the United States under the age of eighteen. Um, And so, of course, the number of recommended pediatric visits varies. Of course, it varies by age. So those of us who are parents know that, you know, we were going to the doctor for the well-child visits very, very often in that first year of life um, for that well-child visit, for immunizations, and then, of course, for any um, illnesses that happened outside of those visits as well. So you may have been, you know, at your pediatrician's office six, seven times in that first year of life. And, of course, as the child develops into late childhood, early adolescence, um, you know, of course, those visits will become less frequent. And now, you know, for example, I, I have a teenager, and so, you know, her, she sees her doctor once a year at this point, um, and may, maybe twice. So we'll do, you know, her annual checkup, and then maybe she goes back for her, for her flu shot. So just to tell you all um, just a few common pediatric diseases. Oh. But before I do that, let me just tell you all one thing that I, I hope that people will, will stop doing. So I have seen um, and I have corrected every single time when I have parents that come in and their children are perhaps misbehaving, let's say. Right. And they will tell their child, um, you know, you better behave or the doctor's going to give you a shot that grates my nerves to no end because you are creating a fear that will only make the the visit difficult. Right. So, you know, learn how to control your children in other ways. Don't involve me and, and my shots with all of that. Um, you know, because, you know, some children become so fearful that again, you know, that leads them to not tell you when they are sick because they have that fear of getting a shot. So you see how you are creating an environment here that can really, really put your child in peril if they really are tremendously sick and not saying so until they are, you know, passed out or whatever. Right. Um, and then also too, when children are afraid, they will fight back. And let me just go ahead and say, I'm not fighting with your kid in the emergency room. That That is not what we're going to do. I don't want to get kicked. I don't want to get punched. I don't want any of that. So, you know, once I see that your child is reacting that way, guess what? You're going to get to do some work, um, mom and daddy. You're going to hold this baby down. Because like I said, that that's not what, what I or my staff are, are going to do. That said, let me step off my soapbox and finish up with this segment. So the most common pediatric diseases, first at the list, cold or upper respiratory infection, with 52.2 million cases a year. Uh, the second is RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, which you will see twenty-one, excuse me, 2.1 million outpatient visits. And that results in 57,000 hospitalizations every year. You can see um, third on the list, roseola, Uh, fourth on the list, gastroenteritis, and so that is that nausea and vomiting, Um, oftentimes in result to a bad food exposure, um, but also can be the result of a food allergy that was previously undetected. And as Dr. Usri Freeman said, um, you know, one-time vomiting is not anything to become alarmed about. But vomiting and or diarrhea that um, leads your child to not, you know, that gets your child to the point where they are not taking in any liquids in particular, Um, where they won't eat, they won't drink, they're not peeing, they're not pooping. That is your trigger to come on in and, and be seen. Fifth on the list of most common pediatric diseases is hand, foot, and mouth disease. And, you know, I always thought that that was just such an unusual name, but it's not um, because that tells you where you see this this outbreak. And so that's, you know, a rash um, that is usually on the hands, feet and inside the mouth. Uh, fifth disease, um, also um, caused by parvovirus. So fifth disease, you know, you see that um, oftentimes in children who are around pets. Uh, then seventh on the list, and I was surprised that this was not more common is um, Group A strep, because we see a lot of visits uh, in the emergency room for strep throat, or what we what is suspected to be strep throat. And so that comes up to about 18,500 cases annually. But I will say with strep throat, this is the one that has the more dangerous complications in general. Um, worldwide, we see 111 million cases of impetigo, which is the skin rash, uh, 470,000 cases of acute rheumatic fever, which then leads to um, or can lead to um, rheumatic heart disease, which we see um, 282,000 worldwide cases. And of course, the rheumatic heart disease does lead to uh, valvular heart problems later in life. So you definitely do not want to go with an untreated uh, strep infection. And lastly, of course, uh, on the top eight list is influenza or the flu. So that is what we have as our most common pediatric diseases so I hope you all have enjoyed this segment I have been um, bugging my bestie to come on the show and give us that pediatric perspective because of course um, in taking care of your health and wellness we want to include the little ones uh, in that as well because we care about them being being as healthy as they possibly can be so from time to time I will um, chime in with uh, children's issues which brings me to the vitamin C today. I don't have a quote, but I just wanna talk about about childhood, right? So in in writing this this week's show and, and thinking about it, um, you know, I, I just reflected a lot on on my own childhood, right? Which which I will say was a, a very happy one. Um you know, not a whole lot of materialistic stuff, and that's fine um, because kids don't need all of that. Um, you know, I grew up where we played outside and we made up games and, and you know, all of that. So, you know, they, we didn't need a whole, whole lot of things. But remember, just think back to your childhood, right? And remember when you were a kid and someone asked you what you wanted to be, you could come up with the most astronomically ridiculous or seemingly ridiculous um, answer for that right and you would just answer that just automatically right this is what I want to do I want to be an astronaut I want to be a doctor I want to be a singer I want to be whatever you know I want to be a rapper slash producer I want to be an actress slash model you know or whatever and it all seemed possible for you right so I want to encourage you all to you know some kind of, somehow along the way we lose that sense of wonder and we lose that sense of possibility as we become older and jaded by the quote unquote real world but i encourage you today to tap into that childhood wonder and tell yourself that whatever you want to be is still possible no matter how old you are you can still have those childhood dreams or you can have adult dreams with a childlike heart. And that is what I want to leave you all with today. Thank you so very much for listening to me today and joining us this week and every week. We are live at WWWE Real 1100 am We stream at www.real1100.com, and of course, we stream on our Facebook page, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and also on the Old Fashioned Health Network page. So, once again, I thank you so much for spending this hour with me. This is my favorite hour of the week, and I always look forward to Thursdays, and I hope you do too. So, until we meet again, which will hopefully be next Thursday at 11 a.m., be good to yourself, be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.